Many years ago, I was in a conversation with a colleague about what animates the work we do as priests. And she told me about her mother, who was a Latina faith-based organizer in San Antonio, Texas. And she specifically wanted to tell me the story of February 5th, 1975. It was a day that changed the course of civic life in San Antonio forever. Now, I say it was a day, but that day really was the culmination of years of suffering and of determination, of countless hours of prayer and of planning. And it all came together on a day when the power of thousands of pennies shook a city and a temple to the almighty dollar. For most of the history of San Antonio, as is the case in many cities, the bulk of the civic dollars for infrastructure went to the wealthier areas of the city. And for decades, there was little attention or resources given to the sanitary sewer system and the stormwater system on the west side of San Antonio. When it rained, the water flowed to the lowest points in the city, and since the public funds hadn't been allocated to build adequate infrastructure in those parts of the city, there was no place for the water to go. And the water and the waste that came with it regularly backed up into the homes of the poorest neighborhoods, especially in the predominantly Mexican-American neighborhoods. For years, the residents of those neighborhoods suffered health crises and loss of income and property during these storms. And finally, a small group of community organizers, including the mother of my colleague, organized many of the Roman Catholic, largely Mexican-American churches. And they tried to compel city leaders to devote civic money to improve drainage. And over and over, they got nowhere. No one in the predominantly white city leadership would listen. And so, on February 5th, 1975, members of the group COPS, or Communities Organized for Public Service, came together in the main branch of one of the largest banks in San Antonio, Frost National Bank. One by one, they stood in lines waiting for the bank tellers. And when they got to the front of the line, they asked the teller to exchange the dollar bills that they had brought in for pennies, which naturally took some time. It's a lot of pennies. And then the next person in line, also from the churches, walked up to the front of the line and asked to exchange their dollars for pennies. And as soon as they got their thousands of pennies, they went to the back of the line for each of the tellers. And then when they got to the front of the line, they exchanged their pennies for dollars. And then went to the back of the line and exchanged their dollars for pennies. 
for hours and hours. The business of that bank on that day ground to a halt. At first, the CEO of Frost National Bank was infuriated at the disruption that was taking place. Didn't they know that this was a place of business? Finally, exasperated by the situation, he agreed to meet with some of the leadership of the collective. And after hearing their deep-seated anger and frustration at the decades of suffering that city leadership had allowed, he agreed to form an alliance with them to force the city governance to allocate funds to alleviate the drainage crisis. And with the clinking of thousands of pennies still ringing in their ears, the city leadership agreed to allocate $46 million in a bond measure for drainage projects on the west side of San Antonio. And the alliance built on that February day, one that included both confrontation and collaboration led to shared work around public safety, education, and job training for decades to come. And it likely never would have happened unless hundreds of faithful San Antonians were willing and courageous enough to disrupt the workings of Frost National Bank that February day. Now, in hearing that story and then reading some more of the accounts of February 5th, 1975, part of what uh, seems to be right under the surface is an undercurrent of anger that suffused that day. The initial self-righteous anger of the CEO of that bank and especially the anger of those there to spend their day changing dollars into pennies. Those who, to borrow the words of Fannie Lou Hamer, were sick and tired of being sick and tired. I have to say that for me, anger is not one of my go-to emotions. It's one that I try my best to ground I think that part of this is because of the culture that I come from, and part of it is just a personal preference. And I've also found that in my life as a pastor, that many people struggle with the anger of God, that God would be wrathful. It's a discomforting notion that the ground of all being could or would be angry with us. And yet, we see it throughout our scripture. And so I'm grateful for the wisdom of Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who writes, There is no divine anger for anger's sake. The meaning is instrumental to bring about repentance. Its purpose and its consummation is its own disappearance. 
again, there is no divine anger for anger's sake. It's meaning it's instrumental to bring about repentance. Its purpose and its consummation is its own disappearance. This I resonate with. As I've found over the years that one of the surest ways for anger to be provoked in me is when someone who is vulnerable is being taken advantage of. Or when I have done something to damage another. When people who are supposed to love each other hurt or wound one another with purpose. What Rabbi Heschel teaches us is that when the love of God's life which is us, the created, when we are being harmed, when we are purposefully making each other suffer or intentionally ignoring that suffering, God wants to get our attention. But only so that we will break open our hearts and begin to repair what has been broken. Which brings us to Jesus in the temple and the response of Jesus to the calluses that the people of God have developed on their hearts. And it is dramatic, right? Because seemingly out of nowhere, Jesus is wielding a whip. Coins are cascading. Animals are stampeding. But this is critical, right? Because it's an understanding of how Jesus acts on that anger. He engages in a prophetic act, a radical disruption. Radical as in getting back to the roots of relatedness, compelling us to jolt awake and reform once again. This in the line of all the prophets of Jeremiah, Hosea, and Amos. Jesus is not taking his anger out on people. He is not violent against other humans or destroying the temple. And I say this today because as a proof text for political violence, many have recently cited this very passage from this gospel as to why they have taken violent action. And this is Christians both on the left and on the right. And I believe this to be an act of eisegesis rather than exegesis. Eisegesis meaning uh, to place one's own agenda into the scripture rather than being changed by what emerges from the word. The reason why Jesus overturns the temples and pours out the coins is to disrupt this system. And to drive this financial transaction out of the temple. And he fashions a whip of cords in order to move the really large animals out of the temple. Do you ever know how hard it is to push a cow with just your hands? I do. It doesn't go very well. And it's my sense that Jesus is angry in this text because the people of God have once again forgotten that the sacrifice that God wants is for them to rend their hearts, 
not their clothing. Because over and again, we conflate reverence for our practices with right relationship with God. These solemn assemblies, these special sacrifices mean little if we don't wake up and change our ways. Acts of disruption, whether they shut down a bank or an airport runway, whether they occupy a flipped house or a temple courtyard, these acts of disruption are meant to open our eyes and minds and hearts and ultimately to call us back into relationship with each other, not out of it. Just over 45 years ago, in the process of disrupting a Wednesday in Frost National Bank, through their determined and faith-filled witness, dozens of Latina and Latino San Antonians converted the CEO of the bank into an ally. They reminded him of where Jesus was once again by calling him back into real and right relationship. In this time of great resorting and reckoning, as you go through the weeks ahead, I ask you to look around. What prophetic disruption do you and I need to pay attention to, really take in, understand, get to the heart of? What prophetic disruption might you need to inhabit? How are you and I going to open our hearts to God and to one another and take our part in the salvation of this world, one penny at a time?